Our, uh, our speaker today is Reuben David, and we're just thrilled to have Reuben with us. He was one of our three speakers this weekend at our apologetics conference. We were here Friday evening, Saturday morning. We had uh, David Wheaton, Charlie Campbell, and Reuben David with us this weekend. Reuben is with Faith Search International, a terrific apologetics organization that ministers all over the world. And Reuben is the uh, Southeast Asia coordinator for Faith Search International. He does a lot of ministry in places like India and Bang uh, Singapore, Malaysia, and uh, just a, a brilliant worldview mind in terms of sharing the gospel with people in other cultures, other religions. Reuben is uh, Indian by nationality. Ruben's going to be talking to us today about biblical authority in a changing culture. And uh, it really is going to challenge us to have a renewed vision for just the power and the significance of God's word in our life. I was really blessed by his message during the first hour, and I know you will be as well. So if you would, why don't you join me in a word of prayer. We'll pray for our offering, and we'll pray a blessing over Ruben's message, and uh, we'll continue from there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the chance to come together and worship you today. Thank you for just who you are, the great I am, and that we have the privilege to come together as the body of Christ and to worship you, Lord, and to hear your word, to be fed by your spirit here this morning. And Jesus, we are, uh, we're just so grateful for all you, you did here this weekend with our apologetics conference and the, just the powerful equipping that we got, the greater boldness, the greater confidence that we have now in, in our faith, Lord, as we heard some great answers for our faith and why we believe what we believe. And uh, I just uh, pray now this morning that as we have a chance to hear from Reuben, he brings this message about biblical authority in a changing culture. That you would just open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to receive a word from your spirit today. I thank you for how you've called Reuben to this special ministry. And uh, I just pray, God, that your spirit would speak through him in a powerful way to challenge us this morning. To have a renewed vision and appreciation for the, the power of God's word in our life. So thank you, God, for what you're going to do here in the next few minutes. And Jesus, we want to thank you for the just your great blessings to us and your faithfulness to us and how you provide so richly for our needs. And so, Lord, as we bring our offerings to you today, we do this with gratitude and thanksgiving. And uh, just as an act of worship, we give back a portion to you because you have so richly blessed us. And we would just ask, Lord, that you would use these gifts and uh, use them to continue advancing the gospel here in our own community and all over the world. And thank you that we have a chance to give back to you today. Lord, bless the remainder of our time together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. What a delight for me to be uh, at this church, and I want to thank Pastor Jason for granting me this privilege of being here with all of you. <coughs> and um, any time, any time, God gives me a privilege, uh, because every day when you take your breath and when you're alive, uh, it's, it's a gift from God. Uh, there are people who will gladly switch your place today, but they're all underground. <laughs> uh, so we have to re recognize that every second, every minute in this world is precious to us. And therefore, most of you are here on this Sunday morning. Uh, the fact that you're in a church, the fact that you've come to listen to the things of God, uh, pleases God. Uh, I've gone on many churches in this country. Um, I came to America 17 years ago as a student. 
And in the culture in which I grew up in India, uh, my family, my parents were the first converts to Christian faith. And so everything was new to us, having come out of a different background. And uh, having entered into the Christian world, the friends and the neighbors and all of us, all, all, all the other Christians that we ran into were all indigenous uh, Christians from that culture. So we didn't see anything of the Western world. And, and, and the Christians there who came out of Hinduism and in Islam and Buddhism, having now embraced a new faith, uh, their desire for God and for the things of God is what shaped me in my growing up years. And the church in which I grew up in India is a church, this would shock you, uh, the service would start at 9 o'clock in the morning. It will go on till 4 o'clock in the evening. For years, we grew up like that. And uh, people would come from miles walking and uh, talk about uh, the, the, the weather there. Um, 100 degrees and it's hot and shirts sticking on the back. And there's no air conditions in, uh, in building. It's all makeshift uh, places. And yet, uh, there's no chairs that they would sit on, and uh, they'll just squat on the ground. And, and, and for hours upon hours, uh, they're there uh, in singing praises to God, and the sermons will go on for hours at end. And it's, it's pretty much late afternoon, three to four, when people leave. And if you were to cut short your service, they get mad because they'll tell you, we didn't come walking five miles for this. You see the logic? <laughs> How we didn't come 10 miles walking for this. Uh, we came walking a lot of miles uh, to be in God's presence. And I've been in such settings. I've seen people in abject poverty, people who don't even have a square meal a day, uh, how, they, how they endured their hunger pangs uh, sitting so many hours uh, will shock the sensibilities of the Western world because your rational mind will think, how, how can somebody sit for so long? And how, what are you going to sing for hours? And, and uh, how do you pray for hours? And uh, what kind of a sermon is that that goes on for hours? And why? Right? The Western mind thinks all of that. But there, it's a culture of no space, no time. It says, bring it on. I want more of God. My life just revolves around God and the things of God. And I sat there in such meetings growing up. And I found out that there were days when I would get angry. But there were days like it just went on. Felt like God was satisfying the deepest hungers of our hearts and even our bodies. And then to find out that Jesus did that in the New Testament. Remember, he spoke to the thousands of people for three days. And, and then on the last day, he said to his disciples, perhaps now they're hungry. What should we feed them? I think those worlds have an understanding of that kind of a style of Jesus. It was Jesus who saw them hungry. And then asked the disciples, do you guys have any food? And then they said, yeah, we can go. We, we've, we have only less money, but, but, but we, we have a little lad who's got five loaves and two fishes. Which says to me, obviously those people who sat under Jesus didn't even recognize they were hungry because they were so lost in Jesus. And then in the uh, epistles you also read uh, Paul 
in one of his sermons he was preaching so long, one of the guys fell off from a rooftop. Do you know that story? You take us. He fell to the ground. Because Paul's sermon was going on forever. And then Paul gets down, comes there, and the guy is dead, and he brings him back to death, and he continues on his sermon. (laughs) This was Christianity. This was the way the church was done. And it still goes on in places like India, in Africa, in Middle East. The Western phenomenon of Christianity is very different. In many ways, it has, it has digressed from the orthodoxy and the simplicity of the way in which things happened in the times of Jesus and the way in, in which things happen even today in other parts of the world. The authority of the scriptures, and my title today, Biblical Authority in a Changing Culture, the authority of the Bible in those cultures trump everything because those who come to know Jesus take the words of the Lord seriously. Every word, they hold it on for dear life. In his book, The Next Christendom, Peter Junkins uh, professor at Penn State University, a sociology professor. It's an interesting book. You should read The Next Christendom. He studies why there's a decline of Christianity in the Western world and the rise of global Christianity. I see myself in those studies. He says in 1900, 80% of the world's Christians lived in Europe and North America. A century later, nearly 70% of the world's Christians live in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Christian adherence and vitality are waning in the global north and west, but they're rising in the global south and east. The shift of Christianity's center of gravity is also a reminder The shift of Christianity's center of gravity is also a reminder to the Western Christians that we are not the old show. And we have to start thinking differently about ourselves. We are part of a much larger community, the worldwide church. And Jenkins asserts that by the year 2050, only one Christian in five will be a non-Latino white person and that the center of gravity of the Christian world will have shifted firmly to the southern hemisphere within a few decades, Kinshasa, Buenos Aires, Addis Ababa, Manila. These places will replace Rome, Athens, Paris, London, and New York as the focal points of the church. What he's saying is the, the shift in the Western world will be so radical that the dominant Christianity will be not in the Western world, it'll be outside of the Western world which then says to us that we have to take notice of what God is doing in places like Middle East and Africa and India and Latin America and why there is a rise of Christianity in those parts of the world and the way the church is done and the way people follow Jesus is different when you contrast that with what you're seeing here in the Western world. A lot of America today is writing It's riding on the blessings of the four founding fathers of this nation. 
and that cannot go on too long. A nation without God is a nation gone under, said Ronald Reagan. A nation without God will be a nation gone under. So you can't can't have God evicted and continue in the blessings. It'll only be for a short time. And the reason is God doesn't show partiality to any one particular nationality. He's the God of the universe, God of the whole wide world. And why is it that the authority of the scripture is taken at face value in those worlds? That is because there is a, there is a deep, avowed respect to the sacredness of the scriptures. I'll never forget the day when my parents became Christians because they were the first converts. And as I mentioned in the earlier service, many of those people, like my mother, came to the Christian world through a dream and a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ penetrating into their spirits. Not many of them had the luxury of a Western missionary walking into a village. But alas, in all the situations, the goodness, the grace, the kindness of God did reach out to many, many such people. And my mother was one when she was a very young woman, that she had this vision of our Lord Jesus Christ, which appeared to her thrice. And the Lord spoke to her in her own language. Only then did I find out that Jesus can speak in my language too. He doesn't necessarily speak the Western English language. Jesus Christ can speak all the language because he's God. And upon seeing this brilliant light in which she heard the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to her, she was translated from her old following of her religion into now following after Jesus Christ. And it was then she found out that this Bible actually talked about that God. She vividly tells me that she saw people in the vision surrounding a cross and they were praying for her. And she said, what was that like? I said, then, then she told me, well, I, 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 I see the pictures and their faces are very clear in my head. It was a month later in that village, another group of Christians from another, uh, another part of the country came there for a street evangelism. And then she went out to find out who these people were. And then she suddenly saw the same faces there that she saw in the vision. Only to find out that they were following Jesus. And then they told her, what you had is not strange because... This Jesus does this many times. In fact, he did that to a man called Saul who was on the way on Damascus that he appeared to him in a light. And so what happened? My mother grabbed hold of this Bible and so was my father. They were all new Christians who grabbed hold of this Bible and everything written here was taken at face value. Only when I came to the Western world did I enter into the world of reason, analysis, postmodernism, deconstructionism, all this big mouthful of words. And in those cultures, they turn around the scriptures and see what the Lord Jesus Christ said. And he said, if Jesus said that, then that is true. So what happens when they're in sickness or when they are in death or when they are in a terrible situation, the 911 they can call is this. 
That is all. It is said about another woman in Pakistan, when she came to Jesus Christ in a vision, the Lord told her exactly which specific road, street that she would walk because they were hunting for her life, the others. And she would talk to Jesus like she would talk to a friend. She would tell the Lord, I don't know where to walk next because they're baying for my blood. Because in Islamic countries, when you follow Jesus Christ, you become an apostate. And she would hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ telling her which directions to go. And all of them had nothing in their hands except some passages of the Bible or little books in the Bible, let alone the full scriptures. But they believed in the authority of the Bible. Everything in their life hung on this. It is powerful because this morning, I want to turn you to a passage in the book of John chapter 18, verses 33 on. Pilate and Jesus are having a conversation and I'd like you to see that conversation. Pilate represents an earthen kingdom and the Lord Jesus Christ represents an eternal kingdom. The earthen kingdom, the earthly kingdom, and the heavenly kingdom are constantly in conflict. And your allegiance and my allegiance depends on towards whom we turn. In verse 33 in John chapter 18, verse 33, it reads, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But that is, as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. You, you see the word kingdom, kingdom, kingdom appearing again and again and again. Wherever there is a kingdom, there is a king. Wherever there is a kingdom, there is a king because I understand prior to the Western uh, countries coming into countries like India and Middle East and colonizing them, most of those nations were ruled by kings. You never elect a king. A king is unelected. There's no democracy in there. None of us elect Jesus to be a king. He's king. He exists. The king as the final authority. In a democracy in the Western world, we seldom understand the kingship of Jesus because we are used to democratic principles in this country. We elect leaders. In a kingdom, the king gets to have the final say. And that is the reason, though democracy is a good thing, somehow, the principles and the teachings of the Bible at times can turn into a democratic enterprise. No wonder people will pick and choose the scriptures rather than paying allegiance to the king. If the king said it, it's good. When Jesus the king says something, 
That's it, no discussion on it. The buck stops at the words of Jesus Christ. Now you see why Jesus would say those words. My kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born. Jesus Christ was born to be the king, to have rule and authority over you. You would be better off in life if you allow the authority and the rule of Jesus in every facet of your existence. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is the one who created your spirit. Your spirit that is inside of you right now is in direct creation by God himself. Jesus has ultimate authority over it. You say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate then said to him, what is truth? Profound question. Profound question. I thought the modern day philosophers were asking this question. Pilate preceded them all. He asked that question, what is truth? I wish he stayed on to listen to Jesus' words. Scripture says, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Pilate was standing in front of truth. Pilate was seeing truth, staring at him. Truth then at the end of the day is not a proposition, is not a mere definition, is not a conglomeration of too many words. It is the personification. It is the very being of Jesus Christ. So when I say biblical authority, everything in the Bible is a narration of who Jesus is. From Genesis to Revelation, the scarlet thread runs through in the scripture, portraying the Lord Jesus Christ to us, the authority of Jesus Christ to us. Heaven has invaded the earth in the form of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is connected with man in the form of Jesus Christ. And because man is not merely a social animal, man is a creation of God. And that is why when people die, we say he or she passed away. We don't say those words with a dog or a cat. A dog dies and a cat dies, but a human passes away. It's a question mark, where? Where does she or he pass away? You do move away from this realm into a, another realm that exists beyond this world that you see. But in this world, you will make choices and decisions that will affect you, your entry into the other world. 
And that is the reason why you have to be very certain of what you believe, on what you take authority in, and who do you hold on to your authority? Funeral moments are sobering moments when a priest or a pastor reads those words, unto dust you return, to dust, and the spirit lifts and goes off to God, and the man's life comes to an end. When Celine Dion's husband, Rene, passed away a few months ago, it was a portrayal of a life that lived in great ostentatious life. As the casket was drawn from a church to outside, you could see the paparazzi is going crazy taking pictures of a dead body. What have you earned? What are you going to take? There is no you all following a hearse <coughs> To dust you return. But your spirit will leave you. It will enter another realm. And if you have not believed in the authority of this, despite of what the culture throws at you, then you are in grave danger. You have to come to the decisive moment of your life when you say to yourself, what am I believing in and why am I believing this? James Unter, the writer, outlines five areas in the Western life, precisely in American life, where the culture wars rage with particular ferocity. Now, by the way, whenever you hear the word culture, you have to understand this. The word culture actually comes from the word cult, 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 set of belief systems. Every culture is a reflection of the belief systems of that society. Indian culture reflects Indian belief system of their religion. Islamic culture will reflect to you the belief system of Islam. And there was a Christian culture in this country that reflected the Christian ethos as the founding fathers saw it. But within those cultures now there's a, there's a collision, there's a war raging to the point that in today's America, the very notion of family is being, re is being redefined. So Hunter gives you five areas in which the culture was a raging. Family, education, media, arts, and the law. Family, education, media, arts, and the law. Powerful areas in a society in which the wars are raging. When a year ago, Vanity Fair magazine portrayed on the cover of a man becoming a woman, transgender, the celebration of transgender, right? Many people in other parts of the world were asking the questions. What is going on in America? And one man said, did you see the picture of that man who says now he, he, that he is a she? And, and do you see where the picture appeared? Vanity Fair, it's a vanity. The title is apt, isn't it? It's vanity. 
People ask across the world, they ask this question, what is going on in America? We thought it's a Christian country. But they're redefining everything. You see, whatever happens in America has a resonance across the world. Noam Komsky, the, the leading liberal critic of our nation, not a Christian agnostic, Noam Komsky, a linguist, so in one of his books, he writes, um, the title of the book is, it's an old book, but it's an, it's an apt title. He says, as America goes, so goes the world. As America goes, so goes the world. The trends, the fashion, the cultural things that happen here resonate across the world. We're sending messages to the world. In family, in education, we have, we, have, we have debunked and knocked God out of the center of education. I've been a college professor and I've seen these things happening. In the name of academic freedom, you would have seen recently at Wheaton College, one of the professor who raked up a controversy of wearing a hijab and her, and her, and her justification was that she wants to be in solidarity with the Muslim brothers and sisters. Nothing wrong with that. But once you go to a Christian college and sign on the dotted line that you're in, in allegiance to the Christian principles, then you should not be doing what you did on your Facebook, putting pictures that you are in association or in solidarity with the Muslim brothers and sisters. Nothing wrong with that, but as long as you're outside of the college, it's a Christian college. You said you came to this college to teach and to follow after the principles of this college, but then why do you violate that in the name of academic freedom? We don't worship the same God that the Muslims worship. We don't. As much as people in the name of tolerance and plurality and in the name of being together would ask us to believe, you know what's happening in our society? Truth is being sacrificed for the sake of peace. Truth is sacrificed for the sake of peace. Nothing wrong with peace, but you cannot sacrifice truth for the sake of peace. But in our educational fields, this is what is pushed around. And then in the media and in the arts, talk about this powerful, powerful domain of our society. The public opinion being shaped. Recently, Mark Zuckerberg was in Barcelona, Spain, giving a talk. And uh, it was a conference called the Mobile Con Congress of the World and all the leading cell phone manufacturing companies come there and they host a conference on talking about the future trends of social media. In one of his talk, he talked about how Samsung's Android phones, the next edition will be coming over with 3D dimensions in the phone and how we will completely reshape the way we do life, social media life. It will all ramification for your spiritual life too. You know how brilliantly that is captured what uh, Washington Post uh, is, a, is a liberal newspaper. They're not kind to spirituality, but they published a story on that saying those social media trends will have tremendous ramifications for spirituality in our lives. 
And what happened in Barcelona, Spain, only fulfills the predictions of Neil Postman in 1986. He published a very influential book. And I used this book in my teaching at the college. And the title of the book is interesting. It says, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Amusing ourselves to death. Some people want so much of amusement. They're so locked onto Facebook. One man even said, if only people saw the Bible, they were looking. If only people looked at the Bible the way they were looking at their Facebook, how life would have been different. Neil Postman says that uh, what Orwell feared were those who would ban books. George Orwell. What Uxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book. For there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Uxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. George Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Aldous Uxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Way back in the 1980s, Neil Postman predicted these things. And it's coming true that we have so much of information, it is being drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture. Preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy and the centrifugal bumble puppy. As Huxley noted in a later book, we have failed to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. It seems as though all of us possess an infinite capacity for distractions and no time for spirituality, no time to be with God, no time for prayer. The average prayer life of a Western Christian is six minutes a day. And you come to countries like Middle East and Africa and in China, how they pray the hours they spend in prayers. Why would they do that? Why? I know you're going to teach on prayer. I remember my parents wouldn't, my parents were so fanatical once they became Christians. We couldn't have our breakfast till we finished our prayer times for long. I was wondering why was this legalism? Was this, was this legalism? There's a thin line between legalism and a desire to be with God, but don't let those debates drown your prayer life. There are people today in the midst of uh, persecution, in the midst of so much of trials, hardship, but they will never give up their time with God. People in China and India in particular. Everything else is secondary. This would come as primary. No story about another woman in the northern part of India, which is northern part of India is like a rough terrain for Christianity. North India is always called as the graveyard of missionaries because those who go there are killed 
if they were to talk about Jesus. But there was a peasant woman who began to know Jesus and somebody had given her a Bible in her own language and she would, after the work in the fields, after a day's labor of tiring physical labor, she'll come away and began to, begins to read the Bible for hours and pray. People would wonder, why is she doing this under a tree? And she too thought that she was talking to God. Every day she would do that religiously. One day as she was under the tree in the middle of the day, the sun was beating down on her. She was kneeling in a kneeling posture and praying and with the Bible in the hand and, and she could feel a hand touch her back, pat her shoulders. She turned around, she saw Jesus Christ standing next to her. And the Lord Jesus Christ told her, I have been watching you every day. I am only appearing to you in flesh and blood to say to you that I take into account every prayers that you have prayed. Isn't that a marvelous to have a certainty of that nature? That comes only when you have paid a price. It never comes without a price. No wonder Jesus Christ said, those who come after me, those who come after me will deny their self. Take up the cross and follow me. This isn't a fun adventure. There's fun, but the adventure is expensive too. There's a cost. That is why the rich man couldn't continue the conversations with Jesus. He said, I've kept all the laws. And Jesus said, who, who cares about that? You can keep all the laws. The question is not just keeping the laws. The question is, will you do what I say? Will you do what I say? That is why Jesus asked him another question and said, all right, all right, now that you're telling me that you kept all the laws, good, but do this. Go, sell all your possessions, and then follow me. Oh, no, I can't do that. By the way, that verse in the Bible is the saddest verse because it says, and he turned and walked away. He walked away. All your, all your laws, all that you followed, all that you became a good Christian, it's good, but the greatest thing is to listen to the voice of God and do what Jesus says. He couldn't do that. To him, the affairs of this world was too much. And who says no to Jesus and walks away just like that? And he did. This heart, your heart, has the capacity to say no and walk away. And if you do that too many times, it'll become so hard and so hard that you will never ever have a desire for God anymore. Dangerous place to go. I pray that uh, this morning that the Holy Spirit will help us to ask God for a, for a renewed desire that he may wet your appetites 
for the things of God. For the things of God. And then you will see, holding to the authority of this, despite of what the culture is doing, we can ride above that and be strong in the things of God. But it is going to cost you. Those who come after Jesus Christ have to deny the self, take up the cross and follow him. But it is worth because once you are in Jesus, C.S. Lewis put that very interestingly. He said, joy to a Christian is central and sorrow is peripheral. But to an unbeliever, sorrow will always become central. Joy will be peripheral. It's not that uh, tough times go away, pain go away. You want to ask me tough times and the hardship, I can tell you for hours the kinds of difficulties myself and my family and many like myself in India and many I can tell you have endured for the sake of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they know this one has the final authority on everything that concerns your life. Perhaps the greatest thing that you will do in this world from today, from year on, from year on, the greatest and the most noblest and the meaningful thing that you will ever do in your life from now on is to pay more attention to this and spend a lot of time in prayer. That will be the most meaningful thing purposeful thing that you can do yet on. May the Holy Spirit help us. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning. We praise you this morning. We worship you this morning. Would you give us a heart that will run after you despite of what the culture is around us? Would you give us a spirit that will be so enamored with you it will count the cost and still follow after you. Give us such love, such a desire to go after you no matter what. For this we ask in the precious name of our living and loving Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Ruben. Yeah, feel free to give him a hand. We're uh, blessed to have you here, Ruben, and thank you for allowing God to speak through you this morning and to challenge us like that. And as Ruben was uh, sharing this morning, I just couldn't help but keep thinking back to these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And friends, that's exactly what Reuben was challenging us to, to, uh, to do with our lives today. And when we build our house on that foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ and his word, you're never going to go wrong. And uh, 
there's nothing greater than following Jesus. And so trust him with your whole life. Put him first in all things. And, uh, and God will honor you for that. So, Reuben, I just thank you. I thank you for that message. And I just pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would inspire all of us as we leave here today to, to live boldly for Jesus Christ. Thank you for being with us, friends. And we pray that you have a great rest of your week. God bless you.